0: good afternoon everybody it's good to see you all i know we're missing several and uh after the lesson when we get to the announcement period we'll share a few bits of news about where some of them that are normally here with us where they are and what's going on with them um, but i'm thankful for those of you that are here this morning it's uh, good to, to be here with all of you the last couple of weeks for us as a group here um, have seen a lot of us coming in and out with travels and sickness and things like that. And so I'm, I'm thankful that there are uh, those healthy, that you're in town and you've made it a priority to be here with us this morning. If you're visiting with us and you're not normally here, um, just know that uh, I'm thankful for you being here and making this a priority and being brave enough to come to a group that you didn't really know so well. Um, I know Don's been here a couple times, and so it's always good to see him uh, as well. This morning, uh, I wanted to kind of pick up where I left off a couple weeks ago, two two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I can't remember how long it's been. Um, I presented a lesson for the consideration of this group. Uh, If you're a regular member here, you probably uh, can remember a couple weeks ago when I talked about um, the purpose of elder overseers. And we defined those terms biblically. There's basically two main words that uh the bible uses in the new testament to describe this role of a shepherd that guards against false teaching one is just kind of more general it's elder it's kind of a relative term it just means you're older right you're an older one but then there's a more specific term that is almost uh, more office oriented and that is that you're an overseer or some translations would say like a bishop. Right, And that kind of gives an insight into like the role that you're performing, so you're older overseer an elder overseer, right, and so that's kind of how we looked at it and so more often than not, we talked about how the Bible uses the term just elder, but you can see from the duties and the things being done that it fits the description of this elder overseer type. We see um Paul particularly talking to. Titus about. In fact, in Titus chapter one, verse five, that was our primary verse that I approached this subject with. And that was, it, it said this, for this reason, this is Paul writing Titus. He says, for this reason, I left you Titus in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders. There's our word in every city as I directed you. Um, really the principle that we approached or that I approached, uh, this topic from last time was that It's really what remains in churches, you know, like to be a Christian, right, involves following the gospel, submitting to that, you know, knowing what the good news of Jesus is, um, repenting of your sins, being baptized into him for the forgiveness of those sins. And then it dictates the rest of your life. And a part of that dictation, a part of that direction for your life is being a part of a church. We know that once you become a Christian, God uh, shows us some insight into how he views that. He takes you and adds you to the body of believers that are all over the world. He sees you as one of his own. But we also know that the teaching of the the New Testament, the gospel, shows us that in every city, if there are believers, they should be spending time together. And they should be remembering what Jesus and what God has done for them. And that's what we tried to do this morning. But we also see that what Paul is writing to Titus That there's this role of a shepherd, one who guards against false teaching and directs the church spiritually, that God expects every church to have those people in their midst. And the way that we see that happening in the, the, the Bible is those people are appointed. We see the laying on of hands on those people kind of committing them to that work, and they perform that task of protecting the flock. Some translations in Titus five, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, talk about putting in place what is lacking. Some translations like mine say set in order what remains. It's this idea that a church really isn't in its fullness. A body of believers really isn't complete until they have the people in place, these elder overseers in place to help them stick with the true gospel. And so this morning, or this afternoon, rather, as I pick up on the heels of where we left off a couple weeks ago, I don't want to talk so much about what these elder overseers are. I did that a couple weeks ago. I don't want to talk so much about their purpose. That's kind of what we did a couple weeks ago as well. I want to talk about this church, us, this morning and what this means for, for us as a group. Now... If you're visiting with us you're gonna say oh great now I can tune out for the next 30 minutes and some of this may not be exactly applicable to you as it relates to us here the people that regularly worship here in this hotel room with us but it will relate to you in a couple of ways one do you understand this truth of God do you submit yourself to the elder overseers in your church does your church even have elder overseers so one, if you're visiting with us, these are some truths that are universal. God teaches them to all his people, and so you can consider them this morning with us. But it's primarily for the group here. And so those of you who worship with us, you know we are have uh, only been meeting together for a couple of years. Um, we're a smaller group, as is obvious here. And so it may be tougher for us because of our numbers and because of the relative youth of this group to have people that are elder, that are qualified to be overseers one of the conditions on this is that there was always a plurality of them there was never like a, a king elder and he was the one right you always see elders overseers bishops right and so when you have a small group that that could be challenging we can't have a plurality sometimes because we're limited in numbers we might have one man that qualifies himself as elder and as an overseer but we might not have another one and so we can't have That one person served by themselves and so what does a group like us do if we don't have anyone qualified or if we don't have enough people qualified to exercise this role and that's what i want to talk about this morning is what do we do when we're incomplete when we're lacking uh, as paul says to titus in chapter one set in order what remains uh i'm not sure and i want to put this out front that there is a perfect concise answer to this And so you may be asking, like, okay, then why are we wasting our time on this if there's no, like, one answer for it? But I'm going to suggest there are some biblical texts that paint a picture of how we can begin to approach being a church that doesn't have elders. How do we function even though we acknowledge that maybe we're lacking in an area? Isn't that a question that in a broader sense we do have to answer? In any church, if a church, a group of body of believers is lacking in something, how do we address lacking that thing? right and so in a general sense i think it's important that we answer this question but i also want to answer it specifically as it relates to this role these elders overseers so practical questions that arise if elder overseers if they are viewed as spiritual leaders and guides then who's going to lead us and guide us who are going to be our example first peter 1 5 of humility and service because we know that the elder overseers are supposed to be that. How are we going to be safe from the wolves that come in and try to tear us away from the truth? Because we know in Acts 20 that that's the role of those people. They shepherd the flock. They protect the flock. How are we going to identify wolves that are hidden in sheep's clothing as Jesus talked about in, in false prophets in Matthew chapter 7? If we don't have elders and overseers, does that just mean that we just have to be blind sheep for the slaughter, so to speak? Does that mean that we have no examples of service and humility? Does that mean that we'll have no one among us that leads? Well, I think a short answer to to those questions is no. I don't think that means we're doomed to slaughter. No, I don't think that means we're lacking in leadership. No, I don't think that there's a void of leadership. No, I don't think that means we don't have examples of service and humility that we follow. But certainly the, everything that I wanna say this morning is couched within first, or Titus 1.5, we will be lacking. I don't want to smooth that over in a way that God doesn't intend for us to smooth it over. God designed that role to be filled. And if that role isn't filled in his churches, you're just lacking. But does it mean that we're incapable? Does it mean that we're incomplete? Does it mean in the sense that we're disqualified? Right? And I think the answer to that quickly becomes no. Um, And so that's what I want to talk about. Acts chapter 11 is the first text that I want us to consider at length here. Um, Interestingly enough, as we go on, I want to think... We won't be reading anything in Acts 14, but uh, I want to hit that in a moment, so just kind of keep your mind geared towards the churches in Galatia, which are in Acts 14, like Lystra, Derbe, Iconium. Those are, when you read Galatians, think of those churches, right? Um, But in Acts chapter 11, if we look again at what Richard read for us, there's persecution that arises in verse 19. Um, And so there's kind of this spreading that occurs, but they're teaching Jews primarily. In verse 20... Some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. The Lord obviously does the work that the Lord wants to do here. His hand is on them. He blesses this work here. They Many believe they turn to him, being the Lord. And so people in Jerusalem begin to hear of the good news of believers arising in predominantly um, kind of non-Jewish areas here. Certainly Jews are mixed in in this, according to verse 19, but um, people in Jerusalem hear about this, and so they decide to send their best encourager, right, Barnabas, to Antioch. He travels up to Antioch, and when he gets there, he ends up just being almost floored by what's happened. He attributes it all to the grace of the Lord and how God has been faithful and how his purpose has been steadfast. But then uh, it also describes for us in verse 24, um, Barnabas's character, he's a good man. He's full of the spirit and of faith. And so, and here's our a part of our text here that helps us understand what the church is in verse 24. Many people were added to the Lord. That's God saying, all right, you're a believer. You're a part of my body of people now, but they're specifically in Antioch, right? And so those Antioch believers, they get together and they spend time with one another. But in that, it says in verse 26, A whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, right? This is now Saul's been included. So Saul and Barnabas are spending a year with this church in Antioch that has risen up and many are believing. And that's where Christians are first are named, right? Like people are first called Christians there. I wanted to talk about this a little bit because it begins to form for us, not only the identity of the Antioch church, but also their relationship with Jerusalem. Uh, From the very beginning, Jerusalem and Antioch, because they're in the same region, they're kind of like nearby, they have kind of this back and forth. People start believing in Antioch, and Jerusalem feels like, well, that's our next-door neighbor. We should check this out. Maybe we should send somebody to them, and they send Barnabas, and then Barnabas ends up bringing Saul, and those two guys spend a year there with believers in Antioch. And so as you get to Acts chapter 15, when uh, some more of this relationship is being uh, developed, you see that some more people come from Jerusalem to Antioch, except this time they're not Barnabases. They're not bringing encouragement. They're bringing confusion because some of them come in Acts chapter 15, bringing a teaching that they hadn't been taught was that some of them had to be circumcised to be followers of Jesus. And so Saul and Barnabas end up confronting that. They say, no, that's not right. We need to go to Jerusalem and sort this out. Now, this is kind of an odd relationship. I don't think many of our churches have this sort of relationship going on. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I don't think it's wrong or right. I think it just is. You know, Antioch was the first kind of major church nearby to jerusalem that we see really occurring and you got to think christianity believing in jesus and forming as a body is really in its infancy it's just really starting to kind of happen and so really you could think jerusalem is like the church right that's where it all started that's the most mature that's the most grounded all or majority of the apostles are there almost all of them are there Almost all of the teaching and revelation has occurred in Jerusalem. think about Acts chapter two. The Holy Spirit is guiding them and so when a when believers start to happen in Antioch, it makes sense for support to come from Jerusalem right that's where all the teaching has been that's where the truth has been coming from so when in Acts chapter fifteen, if you want to go ahead and look at this in Acts chapter fifteen in verse 1 when some men come down from judea and they're teaching the brethren about circumcision which is an old law idea which is an old custom from moses and 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 beyond uh you can't be saved without that a big red flag arises wait a minute is that true well how does saul and barnabas or paul in this text verse 2 how do they feel about it well they debate There's disagreement, there's dissension. The history has been Jerusalem sends us truth. They send us those who are inspired of God, and they help us grow. But in Acts 15, that's not the case. So the question arises, all right, why would Jerusalem send us these guys? Imagine you're in Antioch. You're like, why is this happening? Why would they send us these people that, we're Gentiles, this isn't like normal for us, so why would you send us people trying to make us Jews, then make us Christians when we thought we were already Christians. Acts chapter 15 is all about resolving this. The whole chapter, more or less, is about how we figure out what's right and what is right. The reason I wanted to bring up this relationship of Antioch and Jerusalem is because we see some eldership happening. Antioch doesn't have elders. Jerusalem does. Antioch is being taught by some people from Jerusalem allegedly, and so how do we figure out how how, do, how does Antioch operate when they have this issue? How does Jerusalem operate when they realize what's going on? And uh, the things that I want to highlight in this perhaps are some principles that maybe we can relate to Antioch, uh, a fledgling group. And, you know, some of us maybe new believers. We're small in number and we're trying to learn, and so we don't have elders. And so maybe we were identify to them a little more than maybe a jerusalem type right and so what do we learn from these guys before we dive into acts 15's lessons remember i said there's something in acts 14 that i think is important elders elder overseers these ones that are supposed to shepherd the flock and guard against the false teaching of of wolves in that imagery from acts 20 we know that's true first peter five we know that's true there's many texts that tell us that are not a cure-all to that. They don't make you immune to false teaching. They're not perfect, they're still men themselves, they can make mistakes. The reason I wanna bring that up is because in Acts 14, when Paul visits Lystra and Derbe and Iconium, each time, not only does he have a scary result, people attack him personally and physically, and he gets kind of driven on, but it says specifically that he appointed elders in each one of those places. Well, in Galatians, the letter that he writes in chapter 1, you can turn there if you want to. I'm just going to read a quick verse. In verse 6, this letter is written to all the churches in that region, and at least it's generally true. He is able to say to all of them, verse 6, I am astonished that you're quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Don't those churches have elders? Why aren't they doing their job? Well, they're men. They can make mistakes. They can be led astray too. But it doesn't mean that their role wasn't to defend against false truth. It just means that they're not perfect. It can still happen. So the reason I wanted to say that is I don't want to give this false impression that if we had elders, all our disagreements and troubles would be gone acts 15 reflects that as well but they're certainly what god designs for us so in acts chapter 15 a few lessons that i want us to see in this uh, between acts 11 and acts 15. so one is that elders are not a cure-all they're not an immunity to false teaching but god has given them to us as a tool as leadership to avoid that that's one reality we need to understand Um, we need to also understand that churches without these elder overseers did exist antioch right like god didn't look at them as not a church because they didn't have elders he just looked at them as a church that lacked something and so that's important for us to understand because we're in that boat we need to understand biblically we still are of god we are still god's people but we have room to grow We also need to understand that churches without elder overseers still had the ability to organize, to manage, and to make decisions. Did you notice, and before we get to Acts 15, sorry I already mentioned that, in Acts chapter 11, when these teachers come from uh, Jerusalem and there's these questions and there's this dissension and there's kind of this debate, did you notice that they, uh, in verse 27... Uh, chapter 11 that there's prophets that also come down from jerusalem again they reveal that there's going to be a famine did you notice in verse 29 not only does that happen but the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in judea they didn't have elders to tell them to do that but the disciples the brethren in antioch made up their minds to do that they organized themselves and they were able to, upon the the reality and the teaching of these prophets, say, "This is what we need to do." And so I just wanted to point that out to say again, as as a group here, we're not able, unable to function. We can still make decisions. We can still pursue what is true, what has been revealed, like what these prophets reveal. And we can still deal with the challenges. And the curveballs, so to speak, that the world may throw at us as disciples. We're not, uh, the responsibilities we have as individuals certainly are not lessened because of the oversight of elders lacking. And even as a collective, we still have responsibilities that we can act on without el- an eldership or without these overseers. Um,. But did you notice in verse 30 of chapter 11, where do they send this relief to Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem did have elders. And so even though Antioch didn't have elders, they respected the elders Jerusalem did have. And in a sense, though they didn't submit to them in their own operation as a church, they said, if we're gonna have a relationship with the church in Jerusalem, it funnels through their overseers. And so they sent their relief that they had gathered together to them by the hands of the elders there through Barnabas and Saul. Right. So I just wanted to make those points from eleven that we see that we're not totally handicapped that we can still function. Some of you may be thinking, well, duh. Of course we have to function or it would be logistically impossible to be a church. But um, I think it's important for those realities to be set in place as we approach Acts fifteen. All right. So Acts fifteen. Let's read verses one through five together. Um, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came up to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, and the apostles and the elders and they declared all that God had done with them some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said it is necessary to circumcise them in order to uh to order them to keep the law of Moses. Okay, so we have the issue. We have Saul and Barnabas here going to Jerusalem to talk to them about what's going on. And in this, it lays out for us kind of the framework of everything else in Acts chapter 15. Um I think this is interesting because the problem arises and if Antioch and what I mean by that is the church the believers in Antioch really truly didn't believe that they had a responsibility to the truth without elders they wouldn't have bothered sending Barnabas and Saul and so I think one lesson safely that we can draw from this is that We, even though we don't have elders and overseers, we have a responsibility for discerning what is true, and we need to use who we have to do that. They had Saul and Barnabas who were perfect for this task. They knew Jerusalem. Barnabas came from there, and so they said, let's send those guys. Paul, being an apostle of the Lord himself, had distinct authority to be able to sort through things like this, and so they used the resources they had to determine truth. Now, we can speculate and say well if they had elders well yeah if they had elders there probably could have done a lot more and been a lot more decision making in-house about this perhaps we can speculate but we know that they didn't and this is how they handled it and so we can learn from this is we need to know that we have a responsibility towards what is true despite whether or not we have these overseers among us each one of us individually and us as a group do That's the point that I wanted to make through verses 1 through 5. I actually want to skip towards kind of like the middle-ish of this chapter. Um, Basically what ends up happening is they kind of have a debate in this church in Jerusalem about what is the answer to this question. And when we get to verse 22, they've already come to a conclusion. And I, I won't talk so much about the conclusion. There's so much to say about it but I want to look at how they handle coming to a conclusion. So they agree that it's not necessary to be circumcised. I think that's important to at least mention, right? It's not necessary to be circumcised. So verse 22, it seems good to the apostles and the elders, right? The elder overseers in Jerusalem and the whole church to choose men from among them and send them back to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. This is the letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed, idols from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality, If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So that's their letter. So without getting into too much and what they conclude about this false teaching, that it's false for one, I want to focus in on how they handle just dealing with coming to the conclusion and then dealing with the dissemination of that conclusion. Um, There's a couple things I want to say about this. The church in Jerusalem obviously has elders, has overseers, Um, and once they conclude, once they agree on a conclusion, they see the truth, they decide to write this letter. And did you notice at the very beginning of the letter, um, it says this, brothers, both the apostles and the elders— I think it's interesting that Jerusalem acknowledges that their authority obviously is coming from apostles having the direct word of God, but within themselves it's their elders. Um, Their elders are the ones that are heading up this clarification on false teaching. Their elders are the ones that are taking ownership of whatever teaching has come out of the group. Their elders are the ones that wanna make sure that others are not led astray by teaching. And so that's certainly in line with what we know that elders are supposed to do. Did you also notice in verse 20, before the letter is even read, that the conclusion is agreed upon by the apostles and the elders and the whole church. And they choose men. I think it's important that order that they're given in. Um, Apostles being number one, right? Like if Jesus were around to like in the flesh to teach he would have been number one but he wasn't so the apostles were the first ones appealed to the, but who's second the elders but then who is not without a voice in who they send the whole church and so you can imagine right if they didn't have elders it'd be like the apostles and the whole church said to send these people and so there's some inclination or some uh, indication on maybe how we can function So we can appeal to the teaching of the apostles, right? But since the apostles aren't here today with us to know our men and who might be good to send, the whole church might have to make that decision. If we're dealing with false teaching and we need a couple representatives of our group, certainly it would be nice to have elders, right? The letter says the elders wanted to do this. But if we don't, the whole group can make a decision about who we trust to handle something. And perhaps what we can learn is also in who they choose. When you skip down to uh, verse, uh, the latter part of verse 22, they decide to send Judas, who also had this name of Barsabbas. So Judas and Silas. But did you notice kind of who they are? They're leading men among those brothers. I think this is a great lesson for us. If we're trying to sort through false teaching, which is what we would want elder overseers to do, maybe what we need to do in in, in confronting some of those tasks and and when we're lacking, the best we can do is we choose from among us men who we trust to lead. Men who we trust to lead to tackle what we've decided to tackle as a group. If we see false teaching in, in this church we need to address it as the whole church as they do in verse 22 and then if there's any kind of waves or ripples that that false teaching has created or influence that maybe it's had maybe we need to choose men that we see as leaders within us to tackle those ripples those effects that they've had and so i see in this uh you know judas and silas they may very well have been elders themselves i don't think that's necessarily the case particularly with silas um, But we also know as you skip down here uh, into, where am I here? Verse 32, we do know that they're prophets. They're leading men and they also happen to be prophets. But there's no specific mention of one or either one of them being elders. And yet they're picked for the task of kind of heading up the effects in Antioch. Trying to go and tell them what's happened and how they're going to try to correct it and what the real teaching is, it's not the elders that go, it's the leading men that they've chosen to go. And so here at this church and in town, um, those of us that are members here, we don't have elders, overseers, and man, I wish we did. Uh, God thinks that we're lacking without them, and I agree, and we can see the benefit from what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Having people that are wise, that are grounded in scripture, that are not new converts, their role continually looking out for the spiritual health of the group, man, what a beautiful thing, and I wish we had that. But since we don't, we can still as a whole group, God forbid if we ever deal with false teaching, which will try to make its way into this group, I'm sure, if we ever have to deal with the effects of that, we can look at this as an example of the whole church picking leading men and dealing with the effects of that. Antioch, when they felt the effects of these false teachers from Jerusalem. They didn't have elders, they appealed to the apostles, they appealed to men who they felt equipped to head it up, and they sent them. And so I think the responsibility of us here is is to desire elders, one. God teaches that outright. Uh, But we need to understand that if we're not in that position, we can act. We have a responsibility to truth, to uphold it, to defend it, Um, to spread what is true. But how do we do that when we don't have elders? Well, I think we follow the model we see in Acts 15. If we're affected by false teaching, send those among us that we trust to deal with that. If we're the source of false teaching, and I pray that that would never be the truth, and we we have to question what's going on, we as a church can appeal to the teaching of the apostles just as they did back then because we have it written for us. But we can also as a whole church decide who's leading among us, who we trust, who speaks truth like a prophet would, like Judas and Silas, to deal with the effects that that might have had in our group and maybe even in other places. Um, This is not an easy thing and certainly like I said at the beginning of the lesson, this is not like a one answer fits all situation. Every group is going to be a little different, the dynamics can be a little different. How large, how small, how many people, what maturity level, the, the just whatever comes with people, there's variables there. But here at N-Town, we, uh, we have people here that I think we all kind of look to and trust. Even though we're a small group, we can kind of see leaders among us. Remember when we went through the series uh, several months ago where we were talking about our roles in the church And we put up that graph, and some of you weren't here for this, but we put up kind of a table. And Romans 12 defines for us some of those gifts that could be in the church, like leaders and prophets and teachers and and those who give, give uh, in generosity. And we we put them all up here, and we went through each one of us personally. We said, all right, Josh, which one do you guys think Josh fits into? And we kind of checked those gifts, and we went through that. There were several people that we all kind of saw as leaders and truth speakers, And there are several people that we all look to as like humble and trustworthy. Maybe those are the types of people that here, if we ever deal with false teaching or we're trying to sort through that, that we can say, hey, we as a group recognize that something's amiss here, and we're gonna pick you and you to help us deal with this, to lead us the best way that you can in dealing with the effects of this. And as we appeal to the apostles' teaching, which should always be our first reaction, just like these churches, We can trust people like that to maybe help us get through it in practical terms and so while this isn't a one-size-fits-all answer and while this has been a lesson that's been specific to this church i would hope that maybe if you're not a member here you can see the the importance god has placed on this role Um, if you're if you go to church normally and your church doesn't fill this role then god sees your church is lacking And if your church doesn't at least believe that this is true, that that they don't even teach this role, then hopefully you can see that God does, and there's a discrepancy there. But despite that, I hope you can also see that God really cares about you. Um, When he saves you from your sin and he makes you his own, it says that he adds you to a body of believers. He adds a soul. But when he does that, he doesn't leave that body without a head. The head is Christ. And he doesn't leave that body without protection. He wants overseers to protect that flock from the ravenous wolves of false teaching. So God's really gone out of the way to not only provide us every spiritual blessing in Christ, Ephesians 1, but to really protect those blessings. He wants us to be taken care of, not just for a little while, but in this life and in the next. And so we can trust him to guide us. And if you, if you find yourself in a congregation without elders someday, or if you're in this group, know that God has given us the apostles' teaching, and he has raised up, uh, and I pray that this is true, he's raised up leaders even within the group, leading men that can help us overcome those, those storms that may come through a congregation like ours. I pray that's never the case, but more often than not, Satan will find a chink in our armor at some point And do his best to destroy us. And hopefully we'll have the humility and the patience and the trust enough to follow God's pattern for us in dealing with those things. So I appreciate everybody paying attention this morning. Um, I hope that this lesson made some sense. You could see some maybe the the applications that I was trying to draw from. Um, A lot of times it's tradition that at the end of a lesson, a church might a group of people might offer an opportunity for those who feel a need to respond in some sort of way. They can, whether it's asking for prayers, whether it's uh, talking to someone about your own salvation and and sorting through that, whether it's sin in your life that you wanna try to deal with. We follow that tradition um, and that's all it is, is this time is just traditional time. But certainly if you feel that need in any way, any time is a good time to make that known, to start addressing that. But particularly as David's about to lead us in this song, if you see one of those needs in your life, if you need help with something, we'd encourage you to talk to someone near you that you can trust. um, Someone that can help you with that because we'd be happy to pray for you to work out whatever we can to help you. If that's you right now, we'd ask that you think about that while we're singing.